So Sarah, can you run me through the, the last question? Sure. Um, it was Julie is asking about the um, importance of timing and slow and fast carbs and what's science behind all that. <laughs> um, for new people, the importance of that is relatively small. Um, the, the main thing that I want people to focus on, and it's actually funny that you bring this up because we, um, we have a timing calculator kind of behind the scenes that we've been working on for a while. And we're not going to put that out for you guys to just be able to use it because it's just going to distract you. It's probably going to live in the programming and training part because from our perspective, the thing that's most important is going to be amounts and making sure that you're hitting your macros enough, that we're keeping an eye on weight and things of this nature. And so you're gradually moving your work capacity up with your metabolism, if that makes sense. But in terms of, in terms of whether or not um, the... Uh, um, you know, timing and the science of timing. The science of timing seems to point to that mattering about 5% for really high-level athletes, for people that are just trying to get their, um, uh, you know, habits in a better framework. Um, really, amounts come, come become more important. And so usually what we talk about is quantity, Right, so getting protein right, getting um, carbs right, getting um, fats right, and then kind of playing with that a little bit to see what works best for you. Then quality, meaning mostly whole foods, right? That's that's obviously a big priority that often gets lost in the idea of just like hitting macros. Um, but that is something that is important um, as it relates to satiety, as it relates to um, micronutrients or vitamins, and all those things end up being important. Variety is a big thing. I have to tell you, like in my life, variety is not something that, you know, um, is, is a premium. Um, but uh, I try to get it whenever I can, and I'm certainly much better than I used to be. Um, I was very, when, when my habits were unhealthy, um, I wasn't as focused on, you know, trying to add guacamole or, um, have a salad, um, before dinner and things of that nature. And all those things make a little, make, make differences. Um, one example right now would be vitamin D, right? I'm not great about, you know, if I don't have a habit of, of trying to get something done, Oftentimes, I will, you know, kind of forget, and and <laughs> I don't know if you guys are watching this in real life, but that little thing moving in the background is my dog, um, and so she she from an evolutionary standpoint, she wants to make sure that there's no snakes, so she's gonna be digging in for a little bit, and you'll hear her growling and stuff. Um, in terms of like some of the science of fast carbs, slow carbs, you know, the, the, the interesting thing about anything as it relates to GI index is always going to be, I view it more from the standpoint of management rather than 
you know, what's the science on it? The science on it is that you need to eat an adequate amount of food for what you do. That's the basics of the science that we're talking about. In terms of whether or not it should be a slow carb or, or a fast carb, well, when did you work out, right? And if, for instance, you can only get in carbohydrates pre-workout through a liquid, well, then you're going to want a faster carb that's going to allow for better absorption. Um, if you can get it in through a nice mixed meal two to three hours previous to that, you know, we think that you'll have, you know, more of a log to burn off of so your workouts will end up being better. In terms of post-workout, I mean, the science clearly points to the fact that um, there's actually, they're, they're basically protein synthesizers and they're called GLUT4 um, receptors. And what GLUT4 receptors in, in the morning and then um, after workout, um, they're most active. And they can actually bring um, carbohydrates into the cell without the use of insulin. And so from that perspective, you know, um, fast carbs post-workout would seem somewhat beneficial. If you ate an adequate amount of carbs throughout the day, though, would your body be able to figure it out? Yes, it would. And so, so don't view the timing as magic. I personally think that most of you guys would benefit from timing from the standpoint of management. You know, making <clears throat> sure that your meals are planned out in a way that's different than it used to be. You know, and oftentimes what you'll see when you're food loggers, if you can kind of set your meals up the day before, you tend to be a little bit more successful. Whenever somebody says to me, you know, I have 74 proteins left to eat today, you know, what should I eat? I'm like, well, you shouldn't eat anything. Start planning today. Take the time that you're going to plan this, like, protein and plan, right. plan for tomorrow. That would be my When that it comes in at 11 p.m. And so, so if you're if you're listening to this podcast, you're like, who is this lady talking in the background? And that is Sarah. And Sarah is the person that basically is kind of the you're really more of the Oz, you know. <laughs> I'm kind of, I'm kind of more the dancing monkeys, I think, or the flying uh -huh. monkey. Yeah, you're more Oz. Um, sure. Uh-huh. So um, the other thing that I was going to say, because, you know, like I said, sometimes when we open it up for mics, you know, we get all kinds of feedback and it makes it really difficult. If you guys can use chat, the one thing that I would really like to do with you guys is give me one question that we can dive in on um, rather than, here are my 16 questions, Paul. Right. Like, let's try and get, let's try and break it down because we have a lot of people in the class. And a lot of people. We do have another there. question. Yep. Are you ready? Yes. This is from Norma. I came from a low carb diet. I'm worried about upping my carbs, but I have been following the numbers. I'm slowly building over the weeks. Slower than TDE says, instead of four weeks, I'm doing eight weeks, but I'm not dropping fat though. I'm sustaining, but not dropping. And actually I've gained a couple of pounds. I'm worried to up my calories and carbs. So what you're describing is fairly normal, right? It's even almost logical. When you had a very restrictive approach, especially as it relates to 
carbohydrates. So let's talk a little bit about carbohydrates. One, um, one of the appeals to the, you know, the insulin hypothesis, which has basically been debunked many times by many scientists, was that you would repress insulin so you would not basically store fat. And, and, and those type of people tend to say insulin is a storage hormone. I would argue that insulin is a, uh, a building hormone. That was actually one of the um, themes of one of our recent podcasts. When you look at carbohydrates and your body processing carbohydrates and trying to get the usable um, glucose from them and, and make them useful into your cells, it takes roughly three grams or four grams of water for every gram that you eat for carbohydrates to do so, right? So what that means is, is that you should have some level of processing. So then how do you do that? Well, one, you can cycle carbohydrates, right? So um, one of the things I don't think that we get enough credit for is the fact that we don't say to anyone that you should never eat low carbohydrate. In fact, we're kind of suggesting to people that some level of carb cycling makes some sense. But the reason why you carb cycle is you want to have enough usable glucose to allow for more work capacity. You go, well, why is work capacity important? Well, work capacity is really important because what we're talking about when we're talking about upregulating your metabolism and making more useful muscle is we're going to put that glucose from your food that you're eating, turn it into muscle, which will then equal more work. And you go, well, what kind of work are we talking about? You know, I don't like lift, you know, 500 pounds and stuff like that. You know, and I see people doing all kinds of work. Work is relative to what you do. If you run, you'll run more. If you run, you'll run faster. If you lift, you'll lift more. And all of these things will be favorable as it relates to how your body processes nutrients. The stage you're in right now is not a weight loss stage. It's a fat loss stage. The problem that you have is that you've always viewed your journey as a weight loss problem rather than a fat loss problem. And what we're saying is, is that muscle, you know, the one thing that I can't stand is when people say muscle weighs more than fat. Muscle does not weigh more than fat. A pound weighs a pound, weighs a pound. But muscle is more dense than fat. And when you can take nutrients, for instance, one of the reasons why, um, you know, low carb advocates are a fan of um, not, uh, you know, not having insulin is because the cost that you have with carbohydrates being three to four grams per gram of, of carbohydrate, problem, that's, not a, that's not an issue with fats. And so they see fats as sort of favorable in that regard because there's less of a tax, right? There's less of a inflammation tax, water tax. That's the other thing too. Inflammation has a huge bad rap. Part of what we're trying to do as thriving human beings is break down tissue and regenerate new and more useful tissue. 
if inflammation is constantly down, you're really not allowing your body to recover. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, people that work out and they do low carb, they often are sore, they're not progressing, you know, and, and you know, whatever. So now all of a sudden you go, well, okay, I get it. That all seems to make sense, but I'm up three pounds. How is that going to work out to be fat loss in the end? Well, I think there's a lot of people that have kind of these numbers. I know I did, right? I had numbers in my mind that, you know, I could just do the math and go, if I lost 14.7 pounds, I would be 8.7% body fat. And the problem is, is that the body doesn't really work that way. And so when we're talking about um, being three pounds up, and using more useful workouts where you're trying to get more volume in. If you look at the challenges that I'm putting up in the programming and training group, and then you guys are going to go, well, what's the programming and training group? Well, <laughs> there's probably a lot of stuff within each form that you're not using. But, you know, when we're talking about adding food, trying to change all the things that we're doing, you really have to push the work capacity side of things because what that's going to do, it's going to force your body to use those nutrients more effectively. There's two ways for your body to be more efficient as it relates to nutrients. One is increase your work capacity and two is reduce calories. The problem is, is people have been trying to do that whole reduce calories thing for so long that they haven't allowed the other thing to come into place. And that is where we step in. And if you think about it, if you just constantly bang the hammer one way, you, you, you will often struggle to get to where you want to go. But if you have a multiple approach to how to get things done, which is what I think we're introducing to people, that's how you get there. Right. A follow-up question from Norma on that. And then we do have a question about meal planning, but a follow-up question is, can you please explain how to cycle the carbs? Not sure what that means. Well, the standard rule that we kind of give people is if you're um, on a rest day, you're going to want to lower your carbohydrates probably in the neighborhood of about a hundred grams. Okay. If you're carbohydrate, if you're sort of working up, you know, that number might be 75 grams for you, right? Maybe your carbs are already artificially low. What I don't want to see is someone, you know, and, and, and we've had multiple people try this. The problem that you run into is that, that you know, the extremes never seem to work out. Mm -hmm. And so, so let's, let me give you an extreme example. So there's a male and he's, eating 400 grams of carbohydrates, and now all of a sudden he goes, well, I'm going to reduce down to 50 grams of carbohydrates on my rest days. We want it to be much closer. We'd like to see him probably in the range of 100 grams to 150 grams, and we're always going to be basing it on how he feels the next day. And so from your perspective, you know, Sarah can, you know, there's a thread. I'm assuming that there's a thread happening, Sarah. Um, maybe not. Uh, I can make one, yeah. Okay. But but basically what you would want to do is you want to reduce your carbohydrates on your rest days because obviously your, your calories don't tend to need to be that high. 
So is there an instance where your calories would be? Yes. If you have a lot of low intensity work or you have a very active job, you might want to up your fats a little bit in that scenario. Or if you're new, right, it might allow for a little bit of a deficit. We actually refer to that as a gradually awesome approach. We have a podcast on that. So you guys should mm -hmm. definitely listen to that. I think a lot of you new guys are coming, new guys and gals, you're coming in and, you know, you want to reverse a whole life of, you know, bad habits, you know, fat gain, you know, weight loss kind of theories. You, you try to figure it all out at once. For a lot of people, taking that gradually awesome approach tends to be a real positive way. It's not going to get you like super results immediately, right? Mm -hmm. But as you're trying to up your work capacity, as you're trying to get your workouts better and things of this nature, it allows you to stop freaking out, right? Because, you know, what happens for- Enjoy your food. I mean, I think and also enjoy your life instead of being focused on just dropping weight. Well, and, and what it is, is what it allows you to do is it allows you to pick apart the pieces slower. And, you know, I think a lot of you guys come in and you go, oh my God, it's all so overwhelming and it's all so confusing. Well, you want to know what else is? Weight Watchers, Slim Fast, CrossFit, powerlifting, anything that makes a major change in your life is going to be kind of confusing and overwhelming. So then you go, well, okay. Give me that powerlifting example you were just talking about. Well, I want to squat 500 pounds. Okay, do you just jump under the bar and squat 500 pounds? No, you gradually, you, you, you break it apart, you make it real simple, and you work towards that goal. The first step for a lot of you guys that are going to be freaked out a little bit about gaining weight and stuff like that, it's not going to allow you to get to the wave method and, and get to where you want to be. And, you know, you're participating at, at CrossFit regionals or you're making U.S. nationals for, for Olympic lifting. It's not going to get you there immediately. But what it is going to do is going to allow you to have that mentality that allows you to adjust to the way that your body wants to respond. So I hope that helps. You know, whenever you guys ask me a question, it tends to be kind of longer. You know, I, I, tend, to, I tend to go. So. That's okay. That's all right, Paul. Okay, so another question we have is meal planning. Uh, this is from Sharon. I'm starting ETP. Please give me tips on planning meals right now. It's all a crack shoot. So when we first started Eat Reform, I was against recipes like in a big way. And we had a lot of people that were coming from a mostly whole foods way of thinking. A lot of it, you know, was kind of a paleo type of thought process, right? So recipes are a big thing in the paleo world because you have like basically what, like, you know, 15 options that you can choose from. Um, mm -hmm. And then you want to change those 15 options 17 different ways so you can have your kale and chicken, you know, with spices one day, without spices another day. And that's why recipes became like such a huge, huge deal. In my view, when I have a client that's first starting off, I want them to go to what is the most simple and easiest to make. It doesn't sound like you're in the meal planning group. If you were in the meal planning group, you would have right. no shortage of people. I mean, basically, there's there's like 
15 to 20 meal planning ninjas over there. Uh-huh. And if you said to them, hey, what should I eat for lunch? These are the three things I've got. Like yeah. You, you'll get no shortage of information. Uh-huh. In terms of recipes, I did sort of change my mind on that a little bit just because I think some people do like variety and they do like to spice things up again. But you want to know what I eat on a daily basis? Well, let's see. I just just had oatmeal, right, with peanut butter and honey. I have that virtually every morning. Um, If I don't have Chipotle, you know, I often will have rice and chicken that's in my house, you know. I have, you know, last night I cooked two pounds of ground beef. Um, Oftentimes I will take something like Simply Potatoes. See, this is where the few, you know, once again, we have another podcast, The Problem with Food Perfection. Great listen for you guys in regards to what I'm just about to say. I can go into my fridge right now, take basically four ounces of Simply Potatoes and put them in a bowl with ground beef and then that's my lunch and it takes like two minutes and the problem with the food purity argument that your food needs to be like from the soul of god you know um is it you just feel trapped you know and you know when we talk about calories and we talk about um you know, having a variety of nutrients that you're eating so you can get micronutrients, basically, you can, you're often, the end game is lower calorie, right? That's that's what most of that stuff is based on. When you introduce the fact that you should be eating an adequate amount of calories the majority of the time, right? Now, all of a sudden, I can eat ground beef with, you know, a little bit of fat in it. I can have mashed potatoes, you know? I mean, it was only like a year ago that like mashed potatoes were like the worst thing in the world. And now all of a sudden, you know, um, mashed potatoes are, are back on the maybe list. It's like, you know what? Screw screw your maybe list. I'm eating my potatoes. I'm having my ground beef. I'm working out and, I'm, and, and that's how I'm gonna get lean. Okay, ready? Yeah. Another question. Kyle is asking, I've had acid reflux my whole life. Should this affect how I eat, the timing, etc.? Okay, so I'll tell you the whole deal with acid reflux from my perspective. Now, once again, you can talk to a doctor. Doctor's going to give you medication. Personally, if I were you, I would try food first, but that, you know, that's that's going to be up to you. When I was eating a diet of mostly highly processed foods and eating for convenience all the time, not having a lot of fiber, not having a lot of variety in my diet, I had bad acid reflux and I lived on Tums. I mean, I I ate them throughout the day. I don't even have one Tum in my whole house and haven't had one in roughly eight years. What changed? Vegetables. Real food changed. You know, having more of, you know, real what real proteins look like. You know, to a certain extent, sodium can affect that. But, 
you know, I think people get overly weird about sodium. I think for a lot of you guys, maybe you're new to activity. Maybe you're just trying to get into kind of a groove there. Um, you might want to be a little careful with sodium. We often see, you know, people that are like, oh, you know, I can't, I can't live a life where, you know, um, you know, I'm just eating chicken and kale all the time. So I'm going to gravitate towards eat to perform because it seems more flexible. The problem with too flexible is that all of a sudden you wake up and, you know, you're eating Pop-Tarts, you're having Chipotle, you know, twice a day, and then, you know, your bedtime snack is Oreos, right? The, the more you introduce whole foods, and then you go, well, I don't like vegetables. You know, well, maybe not you, Kyle. I'll just, once again, I'll point to myself. I said I did not like vegetables, and that was sort of the thing that... Kyle that, says he loves them. Yeah, but that was sort of the thing that sort of messed me up, right? Um, and eventually I just had to realize that I needed to grow up and become an adult. And Oh, you grew up? Mm, I don't know. The, um, I'm still kind of immature about a lot of things. Um, but I mean, d does that ring true for you, Kyle? I mean, cause you're saying that you love vegetables. D I mean, do you find that when you're eating more vegetables that your stomach flora is a little bit better? I think it really comes down to stomach flora. I think as you go to more, you know, um, I, you know, another thing that I do, um, in fact, I, I'm out the last couple days and I, I was just thinking of this, that, you know, my stomach has been but but I use kombucha now yeah if you start googling kombucha the science people will rip it apart and yeah. I'm just gonna tell you I feel better when I use kombucha once a day you know um if I have yogurt occasionally it helps so taking um some probiotics you know, you could take probiotics personally I'm I'm a fan of of trying to get it through real food I'm a fan of trying to get everything through real food. It's sort of funny because I know a lot of people struggle getting protein levels, and so they have to resort to um, powder proteins and stuff like that. You want to know who doesn't need a whole lot of pro powder protein? <laughs> Me. I don't need a lot of powder protein, you know, but I don't have any problem getting my protein in because I eat a lot of meat, you know. Also, my calories tend to be a little bit higher. So if you're eating... 3,000 to 3,500 calories, you don't have to worry so much about, you know, um, keeping your fat super low or, or, mm -hmm. or things of that nature. And a lot of that stuff is where the, the calorie equation starts to run into problems for people. Wow. For all the people in this class, we really kind of thought we'd have more questions at this point. Um, but yeah, I think that, um, you know, one of the things that if you guys if you guys are new, you know, you could really look at, um, you know, some of the challenges that I'm putting in the programming and training group. And by the way, if you're listening to this podcast, you are not a member of Eat to Perform. You can join the Eat to Perform public page. Um, it's Eat to Perform tra training and programming. We do allow that group to be non-members. For people that have a question or two to ask, 
But I think more than anything, we don't see a lot of people asking questions. What we often see is they understand a little bit more of what we're about. And that's what we're really hoping to accomplish with that group. For you, We have another comment. I, I know, but for you guys, you know, when we're talking about adding more food and trying to add more volume, there, there are daily challenges that allow you um, to kind of do that. So go ahead. Uh, just a comment from somebody named Owner. I gave up gluten and dairy years ago, got tested, and had dairy allergy and gluten intolerance. Spent many days at the doctor getting tons of tests and force-fed medicine. Took matters into my own hands and no longer have issues. Had good luck. So assuming that means with, with foods and changing things. I, um, I also did similar. I will tell you guys this. Be real careful of the tests that you are taking because oftentimes there'll be, you know, and I'm not speaking to, well, we don't know their name, right? Um, I'm not speaking to the test no. they took, but go to a doctor. I think what ends up happening is a lot of people go to people that aren't doctors. Um, I've seen some chiropractor type stuff that, you know, I'm not in love with um, from a science standpoint. Um, that said, you know, when we're talking about gluten or we're talking about being overly reliant on dairy, um, I do think that, you know, it can cause insensitivities. But I would say you could make the same argument for kale. If you over relied on kale, right, you'd probably come into some problems there. So we all have some level of what feels the most right. You know, from my perspective, I did what she said. Um, or, well, I don't know, it might be a he. Um, but I- Nicole, she just said, her name is Nicole. Okay, but Nicole, oh, wow. I did what Nicole did. I took dairy and, um, and uh, gluten out. Actually, as it turned out, my mom, right before she passed away, reminded me that I was dairy intolerant and not not lactose intolerant but that I have a dairy allergy. What's interesting about that is is that I can have some dairy without negativity. For instance, I can have whole Greek yogurt, you know, not in abundance, but I can have a little bit of it. Also, when we're talking about whey protein, I often tend to use hydrolyzed, which is it's basically the same stuff that they use in baby powder that, you know, smells horrible. Um, mm -hmm. And it's like, like you almost have to take it like a shot, <laughs> you know, because, yeah, yeah because it, it, you know, it, it's really brutal, but, but my stomach can handle that. That's a dairy that does work for me. It basically breaks it down into peptides. So it's more observable in, in the small intestine. And I have no problems with that at all. Um, so I think that, you know, when we talk about having gluten intolerances or, or dairy intolerances, I think that sometimes that can paint you in a little bit of a corner that doesn't allow for you to kind of have a holistic approach to food. And so remember that, you know, if you take something away, you know, still you might be able to add it in in small doses that can help you get you know, because like as an example, let's say that that, you know, you're you're hungry 
and you can't find anything to eat. And the only thing available is a Subway sandwich place. And if all you can think about is if I eat gluten, I'm going to turn into, you know, an ogre, then you're not, then you're not, you're not ultimately probably getting the real message of gluten intolerance, right? That, you know, some of it might be okay in certain situations, but I don't like the, I don't like it when people think of food allergies from the perspective of yes or no. Right. Right. And I don't like it when people think of, of food as yes or no. I, I like to inform you guys and give you all the data that we can find on the topic. And then you guys do the, um, the experimentation to see what works for you. But also mm -hmm. remember, you know, and this kind of also works for kind of calories and trying to kind of have your calories going up, up, up all the time. At a certain point, you can out eat your metabolism. You're probably not out eating at, at 1700 calories though. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the, the same kind of thing applies to, to food allergies. Try bringing those in after time in small doses to see if you can tolerate them because there are times where you'll see that as beneficial. Okay. Couple more here. Karen, yes, uh, the meal planning group is for all Eat the Reform members, and I'll put that link in the thread in the forum for you guys. Um, and then Beth, I'm 52, been crossfitting for two and a half years. I have bursitis in my left shoulder, I'm not doing any overhead moves and generally little shoulder moves. My workouts are toned down because of this. Now, that was a question. Oh, let's see. And then Beth, I was put on 1,700 calories to start and add 100 each week for five weeks to get carb up. I want to lose weight, and my weight hasn't changed for four weeks. Hard for me to believe that upping my calories to get carbs up to 2,200 calories are going to result in weight loss. Yeah, you're not going to lose weight. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know wh why that's a focus. Um, basically to lose weight, you have to be at a negative calorie balance. What we're teaching you is how to lose fat. And so my suspicion is that you're actually more interested in fat loss than you are in weight loss. And so if that's the case, then you're in the right place. What I think happens for a lot of new people is that you guys don't know the end game, right? And the end game is that you're eating an adequate amount for what you do, right? And in that process, you're working out. Like, for instance, in best case, one of the things that happened to me when I first started doing CrossFit, I'd never seen this before. Um, I was working out with a lady, and she blew out her knee. And I was like, oh, my God, this is horrific. You know, and I'd been doing CrossFit for like three weeks, so it scared the shit out of me. Right. Um, three days later, that chick was in the gym working out right next to me, you know, and she was working around that energy or, or injury. When we're talking about work volume, I think what ends up happening is, is we look at our, you know, injuries or, or, you know, these kinds of things as, as sort of a net negative. I'm someone that knows a great deal about physical therapy 
because I went through a really horrific injury. And in that process, I was already down the path of research. And so I became very interested in how to heal myself um, as it relates to physical therapy. So I was doing the physical therapy and I was doing the little baby weights and stuff like this. And, you know, and eventually, you know, my shoulder did feel a little bit stronger. But then, you know, the little two pound weights, they don't really do much after a while. And the problem that you run into, and, you know, I'm 47, you're 52, we're similar age. The problem that, the message that we get as we age is that our body's tearing down. And therefore, you know, there's not much you can do except take that calcium and eat more, you know, uh, multivitamins and stuff like that. Be honest with you, I think it's a, a bunch of bullshit for the most part, you know. When you look at pain, a lot of times pain is represented by weakness. Now, I'm not suggesting to you that you're not injured. What I am suggesting to you is that when I went through my first ankle surgery, I found out something that changed my life fundamentally and I've been able to use that multiple times and I've been able to coach people multiple times so I know that it works. I allowed for my body to heal without a great deal of movement the first time I went through an ankle surgery. The second time I went through the ankle surgery, I started moving it as quickly as possible. The first time, took me about 10 weeks to heal. The second time when I was moving it, it took less than two weeks to heal. Moving matters. And even though you don't have good range of motion and things like that, you want to be able to do what you can. You want to always be able to fix what you need to fix. But in terms of like weight loss, that's like the bullshit message that you've been sold forever. We're not saying, right. we're not saying, by the way, that we don't have an answer for you eating at a deficit down the road. But we're saying is, why do you keep putting the cart before the horse? Right? And right. the reason why you've struggled your whole life, probably figuring out the answer to having a lean body and looking the way that you want to look in the mirror is because... You've always put the carp before the horse. What yeah. we're trying to teach you is, is that some level of understanding what a baseline is. When you go to a lab, okay, and a scientist is trying to set up an experiment, what they do is they set a control and they set a baseline that they can work off of. The problem is, is that most of you guys don't know your baseline, you don't have any idea where calorie balance is, and ultimately that's led to more confusion. When you look at Rich Froning, one of the reasons why Rich Froning is one of the best athletes in CrossFit, and if, if you don't know who Rich Froning is, well, you know, we can, he's won the CrossFit Games four times. I'll post that in the forum link too. But it's not, it's not necessarily Rich Froning that we're talking about here, but what, what, what is interesting about Rich Froning and I think separates him from the pack, is that Rich Froning 
is the master of his own domain. He does his own programming. He gets coaching, right? But he has his baseline and he works off of that baseline. The problem with somebody telling you what to do is that you never learn the real answer, right? You know, if you do these six push-ups and, and you eat this amount of food or you eat the food that's in this box, you don't end up with the answer that ultimately is going to solve the problem. To solve the problem, we have to understand where the body's at and we have to look at the body in the way that the body wants to work. The body does not want to starve. As a general rule, your body is going to want to hold on to fat when you're constantly in an underfed way, right? That is just going to be looking at it from a survival standpoint. And people often say, well, you're in starvation mode. You're not in starvation mode. That is the normal way your body wants to work, right? Mm -hmm. So if you knew that, that at least it lets you know that the answer is a little bit the other way as well. We're not saying that your body cannot mobilize stored fat on occasion, but at a point you get to a diminishing returns. And so what happens for a lot of people, you know, that we see, including, you know, like I said, it represents a little bit of my journey, but I never, I never got to like the extreme stage that I see some people going to. But what happens is, is people start dieting and then, you know, they start off at 1800 calories and then they get a result and then they're eating 1800 calories for a while and, and then their body starts soaring fat. And so they go to 1500 calories and then 1200 calories and then 1000 calories and then 800 calories and then 500 calories and then their alternate fasting days and all this other type of stuff. And almost no one is getting to where they want to go in that scenario, yet everyone continues down that path. And I think to a certain extent, it's basically logic taking over. And when you look at kind of the science that we're putting in front of you guys, we're showing that that is not the way the human condition wants to work. So, right. so if you want we have an answer for your fat loss, but in terms of weight loss, got some bad news for you there. It probably not might not be as bad as you think. Right. We, we will, once we establish a baseline, be able to dress excessive fat, right? We're very good at that. All you have to do is go to Science Lab Off Topic and see all the pictures of people that after a few months, they're like, oh, I had an aha moment, and then boom, yeah. there you go. Um, so, Nicole, I have CrossFit five days a week for one and a half, and a half years. The past two weeks have scaled back because I'm starting to train for my first half marathon. My question is, should I use a recovery shake after my runs like I use after CrossFit? I'm running three days and CrossFitting three days. Actually, from a running standpoint, when I run, I'm more cautious as it relates to muscle preservation than I am even on days that I'm lifting or CrossFitting. Because running by its very nature is catabolic. And the problem with catabolic, or when you say catabolic, people automatically hear, oh my God, he's talking about my muscle tearing down. Well, we're not just talking about muscle. We're talking about tissue tearing down. Some of that tissue is adipose tissue, right? So that's a, a lot of the reason why you'll see runners, you know, there's not a, you know, really accomplished Olympic runners, you know, they're not, 
you know, 195 pounds as females, right? They, they tend to be smaller in frame. They don't tend to be as cut up as some of the other sports that are muscle dependent. And so depending on, you know, the aesthetic that you're going for, you know, or the events that you like, you know, you have to understand kind of the pluses and minuses of the things that you like, right? Um, for myself, you know, I'm trying to be fit for a specific look. And that look for me is um, a little bit more muscle definition. So I'm not going to run five days a week and under eat, right? Because that is against my ultimate goals. So I tend to prioritize more food on those days. And so yes, I would definitely make sure that you're getting an adequate amount of protein. One interesting thing about those days, when I, you know, I talk about this a lot when I talk about my long runs. So now we're talking about, okay, Sarah's already laughing, so she's, di she's dying to talk about long endurance. But no, it's yeah, no. But I'm nope. talking, I'm talking about like 16, 18 mile runs. What's interesting, and I, I think you know, a lot of people that do longer endurance can can relate to this, is you crave things like almond, you know, salted almonds and and potato chips and things like that. And one of the reasons why is because you're you're craving fat as well as carbohydrates, but mostly you're craving calories, you know, and so a lot of times. Your carbohydrates don't need to be excessive, um, but your fats can actually go up a little bit too in an effort to get in an adequate amount of calories. So Jocelyn has a question. Well, maybe a comment. She says, thanks for mentioning the bit about being wary of food allergy tests. I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's and advised that I should stay away from gluten. Was go not going to have that thing in our artesian baker but did go to traditional preparation of grains sourdough sprouted soaked whole grains as well as fermented food and it's really helped improve my diet anything else i need to take into consideration when following your protocols while also dealing with thyroid metabolic health issues question mark in terms of thyroid and metabolic health issues okay i was diagnosed hypothyroid <laughs> Part of the reason why I was, was because of my own informed approach to dieting. I've talked about this a lot um, and how for myself, I healed myself. Now, am I going to make that link or uh, make that leap and say, you can cure your Hashimoto's by eating an adequate amount for what you do. Um, and, you know, that will improve your metabolism. I'm not going to say I'm a doctor. Go to a doctor, get the advice of a doctor. Here is what I will say, though. Doctors tend to be a little uninformed as it relates to these types of things. And like you said, they tend to go for the more simplistic solutions, right? But then you go, well, that's not a great fit for my life. I'm a baker, right? <laughs> and so, so, so you always have to kind of factor that in. When we talk about metabolism. And what makes a thriving metabolism, there's a lot of misconceptions out there. But what I do is I always try to focus people on how they measure it in the lab, right? And when they measure 
your metabolism in a scientific lab, they do so by measuring how much muscle you have on your frame. And so that's not the only factor. Some of the other factors is going to be, you know, your athletic ability and things of that nature. But how many people are telling you that? How many people are you hearing that from on a daily basis? Because as far as I can tell, we're the only ones really saying that, you know. Um, and now you're seeing that creep into the mainstream a little bit more, but not really, right? I think in general, you know, one of the things I've always kind of said is that we're the problem, right? And we're the solution, you know. If if you think that you know you have an issue, you know there needs to be a little bit more self research that makes the difference. And I think that when you look at you know a lot of people will say, well, you know, marketers are selling us on this stuff and we're buying it. I mean that almost resorts to like a victim mentality, right? And no one can make me buy something that I don't want, right? The only reason that marketing works is because we want it, right? And if we didn't want it, it would not there would not be money in their pockets to market to us, right? And so I think when we see a message that talks about, you know, eating spices to kick up kickstart your metabolism. You want to know what really kickstarts your metabolism? 16 miles on a track. You want to know what really start kickstarts your metabolism? A 405-pound deadlift, right? These are things that are positive, but the problem is, is that the good majority of people, you know, that are just hearing a message, I genuinely believe that people resort to band-aid fixes because not because they're scared of the work. I think that they, if if they heard the right message, they would do the work. The problem is is that there's not enough people selling them on that message. And that message is very clear in the literature. This idea of less 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 is leaving us incapable with less muscle than we need. And ultimately, that is going to be the most negative thing as it relates to your metabolism. In terms of thyroid, thyroid downregulates when you're dieting all the time. You know, I mean, I remember, you know, um, you know, I, I, I think that when I look back at my history as it relates to thyroid problems, I gave myself those problems, right? And I don't know if, if you guys can relate to that or not. But I think that, you know, we talk to a lot of people on a daily basis that have been dieting unnecessarily for a long time. They haven't, you know, paid the price um, the other way, right? Where you're doing the research, where you're doing the work, you know. And what ends up happening is, is they start holding on to an excessive amount of fat based on a small sample size and they always snuggle up to less. And we're just making the argument for more, you know. And, you know, that directly comes back to Beth's thing about weight loss. When we're talking about fat loss as opposed to weight loss, you know, there is so much information out there related to living a life of abundance. 
and how living a life of abundance changes your mindset fundamentally. And I'm not a huge mindset guy, right? I'm not a huge guy that's like a rah-rah dude, you know? I'm really a guy that that is a believer in work. But I'm going to tell you, you know, if all you're doing everything every day is tearing yourself down and 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 talk, giving never negative messages to yourself and I'm not good enough trying to hate yourself lean, you ain't going to get there. And nobody you know has gotten there doing that, right? Mm-hmm. Sure, Marge down the street, she got lean that one time. Well, tell me what happened to Marge six months later, right? And when I can show you examples of athletic bodies that ate an adequate amount for what they did, and that changed their life fundamentally. Even if it didn't change your life that day or that week or a month later, it changes your relationship with the mirror fundamentally as -hmm. long as you allow it to happen, right? But if you're always around people that are putting negative messages in your head and you're one of those people, if you look at the biggest problems that most people have, it really often comes down to the messages they're telling themselves. If you change the messages that you tell yourself, it really, it really has a way of changing everything. And then if, you know, you can change, you know, the environment, you know, whether it be, you know, I mean, we'll have people say, well, my, my trainer said this or that negative, you know, I mean, I'm not in the business of paying somebody to talk down to me. Right. Right. Um, and, and I hope, I hope, I hope people don't view me that way. That would, that would just suck. <laughs> But, you know, we do try to, we do try to put out, you know, there is like a, a tough love aspect to this whole thing of like, hey guys, come on, we can't just kind of slow it down. All right. Well, I think we can sort of end there. Um, You guys came up with great questions. I mean, I can't tell you how many times we ask for questions and we don't get them. And, you know, you guys are the best ones for doing it. The people that have been doing it before for a while, they tend to want to like listen to the advanced themes that we have. And I think what you guys asked is going to be super helpful as it relates to all the new people that are kind of curious about it before mm-hmm. that me listening to the podcast and kind of go from there. All right, guys, well, we're going to shut it down right there. And I appreciate everybody being here. Talk to you guys later. Awesome. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you.